0: and welcome to The Beef Edge, the Chagas Beef Podcast, for all your latest news, information and advice for Irish beef farmers. I'm Catherine Egan, and with many dry stock farmers looking for possible alternative income opportunities for their farm, contract rearing has increasingly become an option. On this episode, I'm joined by Chagas advisor, Tom Call, and specialist, Gordon Pepperd, to discuss what's involved with the contract rearing system. I first asked Gordon, what are the advantages for beef farmers interested in becoming a contract rearer?
1: Yes, I suppose there's a number of uh, advantages for beef farmers. I suppose the first one is the cash flow and income. Uh, Having an agreed fee per head per day gives the rare a guaranteed monthly income. And they're now not dependent on an uncertain beef price in volatile beef markets. I suppose this money then is paid directly into the contract rare's account on 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 an agreed basis. So this gives them a guaranteed cash flow. I suppose the second advantage is that there's now no investment in stock required um, and there's no need to avail of any stocking loans to buy these animals. And the third, the third advantage is that there's a potential to be more profitable. I suppose in any efficiently run contract heifering enterprise, uh, where the priority is to provide a high level of grassland management and produce high quality silage, if a high level of performance can be achieved, uh, coupled with removing the risk of purchasing expensive animals and the beef uncertainty of the price, there is a great capacity to make the farm more profitable in a contract heifer rearing scenario.
0: What should farmers be aware of before they go into a contract rearing system?
1: Yeah, sure. Look, I, sub- I suppose the first thing is that they need to, to formulate a good relationship with, with a dairy farmer. They, they need to be sure that they're going to get a constant supply of heifers and that that they know how many they're getting each year, and that that supply will be consistent. I suppose they need to have an agreed uh, protocol in terms of what the management practices are going to be and who's doing what and what's been paid for it by each party.
0: And in relation to the contract rearing agreement, what would that contail?
1: Yeah, look, I suppose the, the contract heifer rearing agreement, it is relatively a quite simple agreement. It's only four or five pages really that need to be completed. I would suggest that it always needs to be a written agreement. And I suppose the main reason for that is that there's there's no ambiguity then as to who's what doing what and what responsibility lies with both the contract rare and the dairy farmer. I suppose everybody then knows uh, who's paying for what and what's expected by, by everybody. In terms of the actual agreement itself, I suppose you can divide it into three main areas. The first one is very general, in that it just includes the name and address and the pps number of both the contract rarer and the dairy farmer this should then be signed and dated by both parties and witnessed i suppose then there's two main schedules within the agreement Uh, the first schedule would include the date that the heifers will be moved onto the farm and it probably should also include the date that the heifers will be moved off the farm There will also be a section there where the the fee that's agreed should be put in and how it will be paid. It's generally monthly by direct debit. So the contract rearer's bank bank details will be required. There should also be details of what lands and facilities will be used by the contract rearer. And I suppose a very important one is the breeding procedure. uh, What methods are, are involved? who's responsible for, for organising and doing it, and for how many weeks is breeding going to be carried out. In, in some contract rearing agreements, there is a bonus or a penalty uh, system in place, so if that's applicable, that needs to be put in. And I suppose also we need to put in a facilitator in the unfortunate event that there is a dispute, that there is someone maybe to mediate or to oversee the, the resolution. And finally, then the second schedule is just the list and all the tag numbers of the heifers. So do we know exactly which heifers are being moved? Uh, the vaccination pro- protocol, what, what vaccines are going to be given, who's supplying them and paying for them and who's administering. And I suppose just finally, then in some contract rearing agreements, there may be a weighing schedule just to keep targets and keep track that the targets are being met.
0: Gordon, from what you've discussed, farmers may be considering contract rearing as an alternative income option, but it's fair to say that the high cost periods to a contract rearer would be the calf rearing stage and the winter housing stage. Can you go through what are the costs involved for the rearer?
1: Yeah, so look, I suppose every individual agreement are going to be very different, Catherine. Uh, Some people take it on as a whole system on their farm. Other people use it to complement other beef systems on their holding, depending on farm size. So I suppose just to give an example, like stock arrive at very different stages and return to the owner at different times in all these agreements. As a typical arrangement, heifer calves often arrive to the contract rare as wean calves at 10 to 12 weeks of age around probably around the mid to the end of May. These heifers are then uh, kept on the contract rare's farm until probably November of the following year where they return at 20 months of age but then in other scenarios, the calves come onto the farm maybe at 10, 10 or 11 days of age and they don't go back until they're nearly two years of age on the pint of And So as you say, there, there's very difference in the cost structures there. Like the calf rearing phase would obviously be the most expensive phase and followed by the wintering phases. Now, in every individual agreement, sometimes the dairy farmers might cover the cost of the milk replacer, they might cover the vaccinations, the breeding costs, et cetera. So it's very difficult to put an exact figure per head per day on every scenario and really every contract rearer needs to sit down and have a budgeted cost of what it's going to cost them depending on how long they have the animals, what stage of production and what the dairy farmer is providing to them.
0: That's great, Gordon. And you did mention that cash flow and income and investment and profitability <clears throat> was a big part of farmers considering contract rearing. Can you discuss some of the figures from the contract rearing system e-profit monitors? What are they showing?
1: Yeah, sure. Look, I suppose similar to any enterprise, Catherine, I suppose the better and more efficiently it, it's done, the more profitable it will be. So a lot depends on having a decent stocking rate, a good stocking rate. It, it's highly dependent on making maximum use of grazed grass and having the management skills to do that. Also, I suppose to, to save money over the winter period while still getting the required gains. It depends on having high quality silage so that minimum uh, concentrate inputs are required. So look, with good performance, good management and a a decent stocking rate, it compares quite well with with most beef beef systems. And I suppose, look, profitability will obviously vary, but look, net margins of 500 plus uh, per hectare are are very achievable in contract heifer-rearing systems done well.
0: Thanks, Gordon. Tom, you've been working with around 20 farmers that have started contract rearing on their farms over the past eight years. As a result, you have established a discussion group for these farmers. At farm level, why are these farmers considering this as an alternative option for their farm?
2: Catherine, hello. Um, well, there, there's very various reasons why the farmers went down the contract rearing route. Some had acquired additional land and, and saw contract rearing as a way of establishing additional enterprise in the farm. You know, without... Uh, Having to invest in, in stock, um, others saw it as a way of increasing stocking rate without major capital outlay, as Gordon outlined, and then that, that was in conjunction with an existing enterprise in the farm. And then others, based on you know previous profit monitor results, um, some farmers wanted to change their system uh, to contract rearing as they felt it allowed uh, again, as Gordon said, like a, a lot of security as far as you knew what you were going to get for the for the coming year as far as income. And you could work within those uh, parameters and maximise your profit. Uh, and then the fact that stock are relatively light as compared to you know, beef animals and suckler cows that made it more attractive for some farmers, as it increased the potential to maximise the number of days spent at grass and, and reduce the winter feeding period. You know, on heavy soils and and slag on Leitrim, where most of my farmers are from. And then um, we also had a number of um, sheep farmers who felt that uh, the heifers worked well, you know, on the mixed grazing system on their farms. And then we had farmers then that you know joined the group at the early stage, um, and they learned from and were probably influenced by other farmers' experiences within the group that went contract rearing, and then then they eventually went contract rearing. And I suppose for a lot of farmers, it's just it's a it's a personal choice, like you know. Um, to change their enterprise.
0: And in relation to the farmer's skills, what did the farmer need to have or what infrastructure needed to be on the farm for them to go contract rearing?
2: Well, probably the skills and the infrastructure in my mind are probably no different than, than what you'd need for any profitable sheep, beef or suckler system. So sheds can be altered without huge additional cost to maybe accommodate calves for so the lads that are actually taking in the calves at an early stage. I suppose the main thing there is to ensure you know an efficient feeding system for yourself and your own your own time and labour. You know a, a a good clean dry bed for the for the calves and, and, and good ventilation. You know they're the key issues on that. For most um, uh, existing buildings, should be you know, be adequate for housing heifers for the for the first winter. Generally, that's you know when as Gordon outlined there, that's generally the farmers only have them for one winter. If they go into the second winter, then that's a different story. You probably need to have a cubicle accommodation for them, but generally that doesn't, there's not too many contract agreements in, in our group in a way that carry them on for the second winter. Um, good handling facilities are important for you know, weighing and, and insemination. And I suppose as Gordon outlined there, good grassland management skills, um, with the paddock system that is probably a must, uh, especially at higher stocking rates if you want to maximize the weight gain from grass. And then the ability to make high you know, quality silage in excess of 75 DMD, you know, a lot of people talk about good quality silage at 70 DMD, but if you really want to reduce costs over the winter period, you know, a lot of our lads would have their, have their silage from 75 to 80 DMD, you know, taking out excess paddocks to, to achieve that kind of quality of silage. And that ensures good quality animal performance and that targets are achieved and you, that you can basically control costs so then there's other skills, then, such as heat detection, uh, I know animal health awareness skills, they're, they're also essential.
0: Most definitely improving silage quality and maximising grass in the diet is very important, along with all the other skills you have outlined. There have a lot of lessons been learned from the farmers that you're working with, I suppose, both positive and negative. What have you learned?
2: When you start out in a contract rearing agreement for the first year, you know you want to ensure a long-term contract. So the main your main target should be just to hit the targets. So and to do that like a regular way is, is key. And then as you progress on, you know, with, with the know-how, you know, concentrate usage can be reduced dramatically by having high quality silage as I outlined and, and 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 no quality grass then for you know to kick you through the, the, the winter and the summer months. Um the contract rearing of heifers, uh, it's vital that a large percentage of the heifers are on their target weight for age right through, uh, and especially at the start of the breeding season. And as I already mentioned, the animals are relatively light when compared to suctor systems, uh, and they generally have targets somewhere around between 300 to 350 kilos at 15 months of age, so they lend themselves quite, quite good to early grazing, even on heavy soils, apart from maybe if we get years like this one. Um, So achieving weight targets, especially breeding weight targets and and having a high percentage of heifers and calves in the first three weeks of the breeding season, that's not kind of a a huge effect on on, uh, the lifetime performance of the heifers, but it also has a huge impact on whether you're able to build a uh, long-term contract with with, uh, an existing dairy farmer. So when we started off first, like the main focus, as I said, like at uh, the initial stages was how to achieve the targets and, and the weight targets uh, and, and, and uh, how you, you know, getting, achieving the NCAV rates as well. And now we've really, the group has kind of progressed on now to, to focus on achieving the targets more efficiently and to improve their overall farm profitability. So if you take, for example, every kilo of meal fed like uh, at current concentrate prices, Every kilo is probably thirty cents from your your bottom line profit on a daily basis. So that can make anything up to that could be anything from twenty to twenty five percent of your total income per day. So you know, longer grazing seasons and good weight gain from grass and high quality winter feed, as you already mentioned, Catherine, are are, are key to build a profitable system. Uh, probably as it is with any dry stock system, um, we also found that you know. A lot of the farmers now are using heat synchronization, and that's facilitated higher in calf rates, especially in the first three weeks of the breeding season. Some lads have actually gone down. You know that the demand coming from the dairy farmer now is to you know, use of sex semen, so it's important there that you know that the the A man is is okay with what the requirements are around um, insemination time, and we also found. That you know, where calves are, are properly reared, you know, and allowing for rumen development from about four weeks of age, that these animals can be, you know, quite easily transitioned quite quickly to all grass-based diets for the first summer. And a good few of our lads, you know, wouldn't be feeding concentrates to those animals and still hitting the targets over the first summer. Um, another thing that we, we probably through trial and error and, and, and lads experimenting a bit. We found that you know when weather conditions um, are poor and grass dry matter intakes are, are low, um, it's probably necessary then. You know if you want to maintain weight, weight gain maybe from September on it usually occurs. You probably need to go in that wee bit earlier with concentrates there to to hold the weight gain. So with that in mind, like you know, we found that you know the lighter heifers on the farm, we normally target them for early turnout in the spring but we're also targeting those for earlier housing in the, in the autumn uh, because again from experiences within the group farmers are finding that you know those animals if they're left out on, on low dry matter grass their weight gain can stall quite dramatically whereas if they're inside and they're eating 75 76 dmd silage like you know the weight gain's a lot better so that's why they're housed a wee bit earlier in, in, the, in the autumn time one of the key things, probably in my mind, anyway, and 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 a lot of the farmers would, would uh, uh, agree with me that regular weighing of stock is so important, and and uh, you know that can be made a lot easier by you know the use of electronic tags and and wand readers, which some of the some of the farmers have to facilitate and make that job a bit easier. And what it really does is it allows for early detection of underperforming stock, and it allows for targeted feeding of of uh, you know the heavier animals. So we have some farmers there that, you know, for example, the weigh animals every month over the winter period, and then pen the animals on a monthly basis according to their weight. So they're basically only ever feeding concentrates to the, to the light pen, uh, because they have that high quality silage uh, to feed to the rest of them. Like, you know, so that dramatically reduces the concentrate feeding over the winter period.
0: Yes, there's an awful lot of lessons really learned overall and a lot of things being changed year on year and making improvements to try reduced overall costs on the farms. From a research point of view in relation to contract rearing, what is Chagas doing in relation to weight targets being achieved, etc.?
2: Well, the general run like's not only within Chagas, but probably worldwide. Like There's a recommendation there that uh, heifer should be 60% 60 of the mature weight at breeding and 90% of the mature weight at calving. So we know now through you know, the figures that IFCBF are producing there, the mature weight can be estimated from the maintenance figure on the, on the EBA. So you can arrange different, different uh, weight targets for, for heifers. Uh, so it's important we just don't go on an average weight of a group. You know, if you take the average weight, the large proportion of the heifers could be either overweight, which is detrimental to lifetime performance of the heifer, uh, or a large percentage of the heifers could be underweight, which is even worse like you know especially around breeding time. So we're kind of gone down the route now of, of looking at individual heifer targets. It's uh, probably the way to go and that's you know that information is easily acquired off the ICBF uh, database.
0: And from a profitability point of view for the contract rearing systems that your farmers are working on, particularly maybe on a heavier type soil, what are the profit monitors showing for your farms?
2: Yeah, like any other enterprise, like you know, there's there's a range within the group as regards uh, what net margin they're, they're achieving per hectare. I suppose it's, it's as Gordon maybe outlined there's a reflection of well, it's a reflection of residency period on the on the farm. Actually, how how many months of the year have you got those heifers on the farm? The stocking rates, you know, the length of the grazing season, <clears throat> and I suppose main thing up in, in the west of Ireland here on heavier soils is the dependency of your, the farmers, actually, dependency on concentrates as a means of achieving targets. So, our top performers, you know, they're capable of holding on to 40, 50% of what they're paid on a daily basis. Um, but there are farmers, you know, if a farmer goes into contract rearing, he's not tuned in, you know, he could basically use every penny that he's getting to, to achieve the, the, the target weights, like so. You know the net margin could be could be actually zero in those cases where costs are high. Um so some of our farmers are achieving, as Gordon said, there, you know, net margins in excess of 500 euro per hectare. Um but that's only really the top operators that are achieving that.
0: For contract heifer rearing to be a success, it must be a win-win situation for all parties. What do you think is important to make this happen, Tom?
2: Well I suppose the there's three probably key key areas or Words maybe even like you know that I'd come up with like you know first one's achieving targets, uh, probably the second one from the the contract rares point of view is regular weighing, and then between both parties is building trust. Like you know, so where targets are achieved and where the contract rares regularly weighing stock and giving that information back to the the, the dairy farmer, that uh, and 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 uh, is on track. Like you know, generally. And my experience, you know, it's, it's a means of achieving targets and if you achieve the targets over a number of years, like there's a level of, of trust built up between both parties there and that should lead to long-term contract rearing agreements and that's that's what we're striving for, like, you know, that we have a number of agreements there where farmers are are together for six and seven years, like, you know, so that's, that's ultimately what, what we're trying
1: to achieve.
0: That's great. And what do you think, Gordon?
1: Yes Catherine uh, Sure. look for any successful contract agreement uh, it, uh, it definitely must be a win-win situation for both the contract rearer and the the heifer owner and i suppose look for for it to achieve that you need excellent communication and a great relationship built up over time between the two parties and i suppose look in, in any arrangement you need to be flexible because things will go wrong and things will change and I, and i think it's how the both parties come through that um period is how successful the arrangement will be so look i think pay pay on time uh, is a great piece of advice from the dairy farmer and i suppose in the contract rare carry out what you agree to do and to meet your targets and i suppose look for both people just treat each other as you would like to be tr- treated yourself and that can all lead to a very successful contract for agreement
0: Thanks for that insight, Gordon and Tom. And next week, I'm joined by Sligo farmer Kieran Keelty to discuss his experience of contract rearn. That's all for this week's episode. And my thanks to Gordon and Tom for joining me on the show. You can catch up on all other shows and interviews from the Beef Edge podcast on the Chagas website at chagas.ie or you can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss a show. For all other updates from our Beef Programme, keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next time, I'm Catherine Egan and thanks for listening.